and we are live. Hello to all my guys, gals, and non-binary pals of Audio Podcast Land, and welcome to another episode of Red Harvest, a Deadlands Noir actual play podcast. I am your sheriff for this amazing game, Mikey. You can follow me on my personal social medias at Pop Culture Geek. You can also follow us collectively here at D&D Vibe Tribe Production. Make sure to give us a like and follow to stay up to date on, on the actual play podcast we got, as well as a few pop culture ones. And we got a lot of future projects coming down the pipeline, so I can't wait for those. Of course, as always, I am joined by my cast of players referred to as wild cards. So we're going to go around, do some introductions real quick, and then we're just going to jump straight into the action tonight. So, eeny, meeny, miny, moe, good old Tanner, you shall be the first to go. Hi, everybody. I'm Tanner, also known as Grisquatch on the internet. And tonight I'll be playing Hank Skinner, the, the police detective. Uh, you can find me over on TikTok by Grisquatch. You can find me over on Prototopics with the D&D show Field Trip. Uh, you can also find me over on Twitch sometimes on Fridays uh, with the Cantripcast crew uh, doing Secrets of Altarium, which is coming to a close now. And I've also done some third-party writing for D&D in Benji's Guide to Rantuki Island. And that book is actually out now, and I did the magic items for it. Yes, we love to see our friends succeed. <laughs> All right, next person to give their little introduction and who they're playing tonight is going to be Jace. How's it going, guys? I'm Jace or JC Vanguard on TikTok. Uh, currently, I'm on TikTok. It's like promotion, whatever. I'm starting to put out Gundam TikTok for right now. I'm bored and I want to build models. Currently, I'm working on the Tall Geese Endless Waltz from 2013, the remake of what they would be in real life. So that's really cool. Uh, other than that, I'm playing Miles Devereaux, our little grifter street magician, and it's he's a dickhead and greedy. <laughs> Not to mention that he's hosting the Deva of Greed inside his head, so that's a fun bit. <laughs> You knew what you signed up for. <laughs> All right. He doesn't even pay rent. But whose fault is that? <laughs> Anyhoos, to keep the intro train rolling, next person to get their little introduction is going to be Kilt. I am Kiltman. And I play Gary the Goblin. It's always a pleasure to serve you. And I only do this because it annoys Jace. And that's it. Sweet. We love to see it. And of course, last but certainly not least to round out introductions is going to be Josh. Hello, everybody. It is Josh. Uh, you also might know me as MG Preacher. You can follow me on TikTok at a preacher as well as Instagram at MG Preacher Man. I'll be playing Chris Remington, New Orleans Private Eye. <laughs> we love to see it. And of course, with that out of the way, that concludes introductions. So let's just hop into the shenanigans tonight. Last time on Red Harvest, after, uh, well, being politely escorted out is the nicest way to put it. But after you guys got thrown out of the coven with your next assignment, after uh, learning a little bit from our good old Deva of Greed, after he momentarily took over the body and mind of Miles, 
That was interesting to happen. You guys made your way to the tombstone epitaph in which you met your handler for this case, a one Mr. Nathan or Nate Braddock, who is the owner of the tombstone epitaph, which is one of the bigger newspaper uh, kind of outfits in New Orleans. And, you know, I thought he was personally nice. Some of our crew here thought he was kind of a dick, but no matter because Upon entering the tombstone epitaph, he laid down what exactly it was that he needed help with, which ultimately culminated in a series of bizarre and strange murders around uh, the area in which the tombstone epitaph is at. And he has tasked you guys to help him solve this case. And in addition, should you be successful, he also promised that for future adventures and endeavors that he would be able to give you good publicity because Lord knows in this time, good publicity is better than no publicity. So upon finishing the conversation and getting a little bit of the starting details, you guys made a plan in order to divide and conquer. So this is the first we're going to be splitting the party, so to speak. So this should be an interesting thing. We have Hank and Chris had decided to go visit the police station to see if they could find any information as to the murder so far, where Miles and Gary had volunteered to be the second team in which they would visit their more shadier contacts and areas around the city to see if they could find any information. So that is where we're going to start tonight. So to begin, the dice have decided to figure out who's going to go first and <laughs> Hank and Chris, you will be the first team up tonight. <laughs> so as previously mentioned, the two of you had decided to go check out the police station to see if you can find any information on said murders. Yes. So the police station around this area of town is not that far. It's only about a five minute walk from the Tombstone Epitaph. So as the two of you make your way over to said police station. I mean, in different aspects, it's probably a good idea that the two of you went to the police station because the eyeballs won't be as hard on you per se. But as you two walk in, you just see. You see a young uh, female kind of just behind with some ledgers and she looks up. She's like, oh, how can I help you? Oh, um, we're here to investigate some uh, grisly murders that's been going on here in town. Um, <sighs> Are you now? <laughs> and I flashed my badge and I was like, Detective Skinner. Oh, Detective Skinner. All right, hun. Hold on. Let me see. I wasn't expecting to detect a skinhead today, but uh, and she kind of just looks at you. But I think I can squeeze you in and she kind of gives you a wink. <laughs> oh, um, and this is my friend, uh, Mr. Remington here. He's a private detective himself, but today he's with me. Oh, OK. And she kind of gives you a look. Uh, Chris is just like. Well, hell no. We got a police officer and a private eye. A girl can only be so lucky. <laughs> but yes, you said you were here to investigate some murders. Yes, ma'am. Uh, there's a lot of murders that seem to be happening. Which one specifically? Uh, the, the ones that have been happening. Uh, what do you mean there's been a lot of murders here lately? 
Oh, hon, this is New Orleans. People be dying left and right all the time. You got to be a little more specific is all I meant. <laughs> hmm. The, uh, the unfortunate souls that were quite literally decapitated. Those maps. Oh, so you... Oh. And she kind of just is taken aback by it. Oh, my. That is quite the case. Her kind of playful demeanor kind of crumbles a tiny bit before kind of picking back up. <clears throat> right. Um, well, OK, well, since you he is and since you already gave me identification and all that, getting you clearance shouldn't be uh, too hard. Let me just uh, write you downs in the ledges. And she kind of hands you like kind of like a little sticky badge for both of you with your names on it. Oh, yeah. Uh, let me just go tell the chief real quick and let them know that you hears and then uh, I'll be back shortly. So she gets up and kind of walks over to the uh, chief's office. She closes the door. Not even a minute or two later, she comes back out. All right, Huns. Well, you got the clearance. So you just make your way down the hallway. The evidence locker and all the files and stuff like that is down this second hallway all the way to the right. Last door on the right. And uh, yeah, just make sure you put everything away so when you're done. And if you need any help, uh, just let me know. I uh, thank you kindly. Now, if I may, um, which direction after we peruse the evidence room? Which way to the uh, to the morgue or the autopsy room? If you got one fresh. Oh, no problem. See, you're gonna go down the other way, so. Locker room, evidence lockers, last door on the right, last door on the left. We'll take you downstairs to the morgue. Though I would be very careful. Dr. Carlisle is, uh, he's an interesting fella. Hmm. All right. Mr. Skinner? Uh, Mr. Uh, Remington. I'm Skinner. Hang on. Mr. Remington, <laughs> oh, I'll good let Lord. you take me. For a me. second there, I, th uh, I thought our names changed there for a second. Right, I'm having an off day. Um, Mr. Remington, if you do accompany me, but I'll let you take lead on the evidence room. Very well. <laughs> Alrighty. So, with, sweet. So, you two make your way down the hall, and short enough, within a few couple of steps, you make your way into the uh, evidence room slash locker slash area where all the important details are. Now, because you were specifically told what you were looking for, basically all this information is going to be in here, but let's see how well you do. So, Chris and Hank, I need you both to roll me investigation rolls, please. Remember, if you have the investigation skill that you picked up, then you roll the dice that's associated with it. If you're not trained in that skill, it is a D4 minus two. Yeah, that's a five for me. Okay, that is successful. <laughs> Christopher, what did you end up getting, bud? <laughs> How many times are we allowed to roll? If you keep exploding, you keep going until you expl don't explode no more. Oh, yeah, that. <laughs> like if you get max on that, you just keep rolling. <laughs> okay, so that will be a total of 13. Holy shit. <laughs> So this is what it's like to be Skinner. <laughs> 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 
Holy crap, that's a success with three raises. Holy shit. We'll see if that comes back to bite you in the ass later, <laughs> but we'll see. Oh, more than <laughs> All right. So collectively, both of you have passed because I love Savage Worlds in the sense that you, the target number is four. So you're good with that. So collectively, both of you succeeded. It does take a bit for both of you to get through the information and kind of comb for what you're looking for. But this is what you end up finding. <clears throat> so you are both able to kind of reading over the case file. You're able to corroborate uh, Mr. Braddock's account of what he told you about the bizarre nature of said murders. And so the information that he gave you matches the information that you see in here. Bizarre murders, limbs are missing, there may have been a decapitation or two, all that good stuff. So that corroborates it. However, upon further investigation, you both check the police reports and all that stuff, and you find that this particular police station took custody of what looks to be a surgical scalpel, which, according to the report, may or may not have been the uh, suspected murder weapon at the most recent crime scene. So the most recent uh, murder, there was a scalpel that was left there at the crime scene. However, as you look for said scalpel to order to see what this looks like and all that good stuff and get a better look at it, uh, you both find that the scalpel is not in the files that you were given, nor is it anywhere in the evidence locker after spending a few moments searching the, for the thing. So the scalpel is M.I.A. <laughs> Oops. Well, Mr. Remington, uh, drawing a blank for where this scalpel is. Have you found it yet? I was just about to ask you. Hmm. Is there a log for who all goes into in and out of the evidence room? Oh, most certainly. <laughs> is it in here in the evidence room or is it back at the front desk? No, it's it's like right outside of the evidence locker. So there's like a little sign in, inside out sheet kind of okay, situation gotcha. going on. Gotcha, gotcha. OK. Uh, and we know that the most recent murder was yesterday. Yeah, the night before. OK, so. All right. Uh, so Hank's going to go out to that log and just look at the list of names dating from whenever the scalpel was reported uh, being checked into evidence to now. <laughs> OK, so you go over and you take a look. Uh, there's a couple of officers, but the most recent one dating. Eh, about a couple hours ago, well, more than that, probably like seven or eight hours ago, which would be early in the morning slash late at night, depending on how you view it. So like between the hours of like midnight and 2 a.m., you see that the most recent person to enter here besides you two looks to be a one uh, officer Portner. Portner, okay. All right, well, we'll have to give him a little visit after uh, adventures down to the morgue. All right, well, hmm. 
Actually, before we go down to the morgue... I guess I'm... Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to suggest maybe running back over to the front desk lady and asking her if Mr. Portno was on duty today. It definitely seems like the best idea. Uh, let me put everything back, and uh, I guess I'll join you. Well, I was going to help you put everything back, but yeah, sure. All right. But- <laughs> Cool. So we put everything else back in its perspective place and make our way back to the front desk. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. Alrighty. So, after putting everything away, you walk yourselves back up to the front desk. Oh, done so soon, my. You must be effective. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. Um, is there an officer Portner on duty today? Uh, let me check. And she kind of just checks. Let's see. Turner, Phillips, ah, here we go, Portner, yes, he's actually, uh, he is scheduled to be here today, and in fact, uh, he's at, currently doing paperwork back there, and she kind of turns around and points to, like, a office desk, like, way in the back of the precinct, yeah, he's, uh, over there, he's a little short man, a little, uh, receding blonde hairline, you can't miss him. Okay. Thank you kindly. I'm going to start making my way back there. Okay. I, of course, smile at her and tip my hat as we walk away. She kind of just blushes and gives you a wink. (laughs) Alrighty. So, Hank, since you are kind of leading this charge, you approach uh, Officer Portner. (laughs) And so... The description that the receptionist gave you is more strikingly accurate than anything. Uh, he is a I don't want to say he's a super obese officer, but it looks like it's like one of those situations where he has been on the force for a long time. The hairline is receding. He looks to be in his late 30s, already early 40s. Uh, he's not quite big, but you can tell that maybe he's had one too many donuts per se. <laughs> he's, just, he's trying to write it out to retirement. He's writing out till retirement. Yes. Yeah, so. <laughs> he's like he's got two years. <laughs> two years. Two years. <laughs> so he, as he, you see him writing some reports and some paperwork, he kind of just looks up at you with that look of just two more years. That's all I got bags under his eye. Looks like he doesn't sleep that much anymore. And he kind of just looks up. It's like, can I help you? Uh, yes. My name is Detective Hank Skinner and this is my associate um, Remington P.I. You were the last reported officer in the evidence room after the uh, recent scalpel got checked into the evidence room. And it's not there when me and my associate went in. We're just wondering if you happen to know where it might be. (laughs) So at the mention of the scalpel not being there, you just see Officer Portner's eyes just go wide and he kind of just stands up and kind of like hurriedly guides you to like a corner of the precinct where there's not a lot of people around. Mm hmm. And he's just like, listen, this is like, I already told 
a few other officers. I was like, I'm still trying to find that damn thing. I got two years left. I can't get dinged for this now. <laughs> it's like, I don't know what happened to it. You know, I'm hoping that it's got lost when all this stuff got moved from the old precinct to this one. But if word gets out that it's that a piece of evidence is missing, my career is over and I can kiss retirement goodbye. You said that uh, you all moved your precinct? Yes, that is correct. Out of curiosity, did the, um, uh, I was about to say, did the coroner also move with the precinct? Uh, Dr. Carlisle is a mysterious one. I mean, he's been here ever since I came onto the force, but I know that he travels around from precinct to precinct. And you all have a fresh body on this table today, don't you? Uh, sure, I don't really pay much attention to that, but at this point I'm not surprised if Dr. Carlisle has a new body on his table. There is the off-chance off possibility that he may have possession of the scalpel to compare the, um, the defensive wounds and insertion points. Uh, he might, since he's a doctor of sorts, but that would be a question to ask him. Alright, well, we'll give him a little call. Don't run off nowhere. Oh, no, I, I don't plan to... By the way, if you find the scalpel and you can return it here, you would be saving my bacon and I owe you favorite later. Oh, most definitely. <sighs> Alrighty. And so, Officer Portner kind of just pretend, like, tries to, like, horribly nonchalantly go back to his desk and act like y'all weren't causing a scene. <laughs> no, we didn't just bust his ass. <laughs> yes. It's like one of those things is just like, I don't know. I'm gonna, like, over, like, exaggerate a little bit. Be like, I'm gonna go back to my work kind of situation. During mm -hmm. the uh, stereotypical, oh, I didn't do nothing kind of whistling as he works at his desk. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Love it. Alrighty. So y'all gonna make your way to the coroner's office now downstairs? I believe so. Sweet. I believe so, yes. Cool. Alrighty. So with that, you two make your way to the coroner's office following the instructions from our lovely receptionist. Uh, you make your way down the same hallway where that Viz locker was, but instead of going right, you go left down the stairs. As you descend the stairs, it does get a little bit. Uh, the natural lighting begins to kind of disappear a little bit and is replaced with the static hum of electric, like shoddy electrical lights. Uh, some of them are blinking. It's starting to get colder uh, the more you descend the steps. And before you know it, you too find yourself standing in front of Dr the coroner's office and just like you just feel the overwhelming sense of macabre and coldness and death as you are outside of Dr. Carlisle's office. Hmm. Oh, I'm quite familiar with that feeling. It's something about coroner's rooms and dinner's rooms. Sorry, you were saying, Remington? Uh, I wasn't really saying anything. 
It was more or less uh, speaking to myself. Uh, it's just these rooms are quite eerie to me. I've spent enough hours. You know, we've both spent enough time having to go into rooms like these. True, true. Do you see the doctor anywhere? Mikey, do I see the doctor anywhere? Uh, well, currently, both of you are still outside, so if you want to see if he's in, y'all can go into the office. Into oh, his, I thought, to the I thought we were already in the morgue. <laughs> Don't okay. worry about it. Okay. All right. So both of you going to go in? Mm-hmm. All righty. Only this oh, time boy. I'm actually going to let him go through first instead of both of us trying to squeeze through one door frame. <laughs> Two guys, one door. It happens. Alrighty. So being voluntold to go first, Hank, you, you, you enter the door first. So as you enter in, nothing really seems to be too off kiltered. I mean, for you, Hank, this isn't the first time you've been to a coroner's office. So you're used to the medical tools, the bodies, the smell of formaldehyde all over the place. Mm hmm. This particular office, though, there is a little bit interesting because as soon as you open the door, you just hear. You hear the scratching of like a record player, like playing like the operatic opening to Carmen. So like that one is like, like just opera operatic. And then you just see a man in a white lab coat, just like swaying and kind of moving to the music as he's just like in time with the music kind of like slicing up the body he's currently working up and he's just in the zone <laughs> but he had he doesn't realize that you I'm guys sorry, are what, what was his name again dr carlisle dr carlisle thanks gonna go over okay. to the record player okay you go to the record player <laughs> gonna carefully take the needle off of the record <laughs> It does a little record scratch. And Dr. Carlisle is just like he stops dancing and he just looks at the general direction. Now, why would you go and do that for, huh? Mm. I was in the zone. Hmm. Well, we would like to ask you a couple questions and then you can go right back to doing your macabre dance with your dead bodies and we will leave you alone. All right. All right. All right. Well, then uh, what can I do for you? Uh, there seems to a hmm, how do I say this? There's been a recent, um, collection of grisly murders with a couple of decapitations, lacerations, and stealing of limbs. Ooh, so you are here to examine those murders. Say magnifique. And you can just see this expression kind of just like a very morbid <laughs> like sense of wonderment and excitement kind of cross Dr. Carlos face is like about these as a corner these matters are very very interesting <laughs> uh, give me one sec and you kind of see him like not even walk it's like he glides his way over like he's still listening to the music inside his head it's like he begins to hum it's like hmm <laughs> uh, let's see, where did I put the Ah, here we go. 
So, uh, if you were to be more than uh, careful, and he kind of hands you, he not even hands you, he just throws at you like goggles and some gloves and a lab coat. He's like, you may want to put these on to not dirty your uniform. Oh, well, thank you, Godly. <laughs> and then he kind of just, now, if you would come a bit closer, I will uh, explain exactly what it is that uh, we are looking at. And he's going to start putting on the gloves and like kind of turn his back to the doctor and look at him. <laughs> Remington and be like, or rather mouth the words, this guy is a loony. I don't say anything. I just kind of look, look at him like semi-wide-eyed and just slowly nod my head up and down. <laughs> All righty. So, Dr. Carlisle is just like, now, uh, let us see here. This uh, is a young male victim, as you can tell from, uh, well, I mean, I'm going to let your imagination figure it out. But as you, you can tell, he is missing both his hands and his head. Well, at least the one that has the cranium in it. His other head is intact. Uh-huh. But uh, the downstairs mix up is intact. Yes. Yes. The upstairs seems to be uh, missing at the moment. But there is one thing that is quite strange. So if you can t- come a little bit closer and he kind of takes you both and kind of shows you both where the hands are supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And just and the head. It's like, as I was doing the autopsy, obviously the cause of death is, uh, well, the detachment of anyone's cranium will most likely cause your death as uh, the brain needs to be attached to it to live. So that was the cause of death. But there was something very interesting. As you could see, both the hands and the heads are missing. But as I furthered uh, investigated and looked at both the hands and the head, I find it quite strange that the laceration marks around the hands and the head are, perf- are perfect. As if that they were cleanly sliced off. So, the person that did all this is a professional. Hmm. Well, I would say a professional in the sense that very few tools can actually slice things off cleanly like that. In fact, it seems that whoever is responsible for this is very adept and very precise. So they must have some sort of, uh, how you say, skill, or they do some sort of light on work that requires such precision when it comes to cutting off a limbs. You know, I had a cousin that was a butcher. That's probably not related to this anyway. Um, actually, that's a, that is a thought. Doctor, pray tell, um... Would it be outside of the realm of possibility for someone that took up butchery to do these types of incisions and effective uh, lacerations and removal of limbs? Hmm. Well, it's easy possibility, especially if it's more on the side of if they're like a professional chef of some sort. I think a standard butcher would be able to hack, but not be so precise as to what it sees. So my hypothesis is if we're thinking along those lines, it could be a chef or actually I'm quite scared myself because you usually don't see this other than the culinary arts or even the other people in the medical profession. You didn't happen to, per chance, uh, take a little visit up to the evidence room to uh, compare the laceration marks to the scalpel that's in evidence, did you? 
Yeah, well, about that. So I did go take a look up there earlier to see if the scalpel was there. But of course, you know, Officer Portner was in charge and uh, I had a little, how you say, just a little chat with him about losing evidence. So until I get that scalpel, I can't uh, I can't do a cross-examination of these wounds and said scalpel. But, oh, do you think this scalpel has anything to do with these madder? Possibly. Hmm. That is quite interesting. Well, like I said, until I get my hands on that scalpel, I cannot uh, do a cross-examination. But, uh, by the way, have you talked to Officer Portner yet? About yes. where this possibly might... Oh, you did. Okay. Does... Of course, my English is uh, not as good as yours, but... Uh, oh, dude, does... you, you're doing an impeccable job of speaking. How long have you been in the country? Eh, been, let's see. Now, is this on the record or off the record? Off the record, of course. Okay. Off the record, I have been here for about eh, 10 years or so. Legally for about two, but that's a different story. I don't have a, you have to forgive me. I do not have the greatest of ears for accents, but I'm assuming you from France. We. Um, oui. And taking you 10 years being in country. You wouldn't happen to have served time in the war, would, would you have? Mm, let's just say that I was supposed to, but then let's just say I took a little field trip and that kind of didn't happen in my life. So, uh, We'll kind of just leave it at that. Just as well. Or do you Frenchmen had to... I just kind of raised my eyebrow. <laughs> I heard you Frenchmen had a hard time at Verdun. Oh, yeah. It, uh, it was uh, how you Americans say, uh, not good. <laughs> hmm. Well, with the scalpel in the wind, and you don't know where it is, Officer uh, Porkchop, we'll call him, <laughs> doesn't know where it is and the only lead we have is to check the old precinct hmm. that would probably be a good place to start but uh yeah so if you by chance come across the scalpel and bring it back to me then uh I could definitely uh make sure to see if it's exactly the same I mean you could probably I mean, I have my scalpel right here, but the precision of this one is uh, otherworldly, so to speak. Do you uh, care to show us that scalpel? Oh, uh, sure. And kind of from his table, he kind of lifts it up with his glove. <laughs> is this a clean scalpel or has it been used? I mean, it has been used, but then again, you saw him cut open the body with the scalp said scalpel as you guys were walking in. Oh, same scalpel. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hmm. hmm. It's like, ah, I see what you're thinking. While I am, imp I will admit I am a little impressed with the work of how clean these cuts are, but unfortunately it is not me. But I do appreciate where your brain was going. Never eliminate any possibility that may still be open. Ooh, I think we are going to be best friends after this. <laughs> but no, and this is why I say that the cut was very otherworldly. Anybody in that uses knives as tools, we usually have our own set of cuts. 
And even if you have been trained for a very long time of how to do precision cuts, like let's say food or even medical, uh, there are still some slight imperfections. And by investigating the cuts here, they're almost perfect. No, they are perfect. And that is what scares me. Either this person is really good at what they do or and just between you and me, I think there might be something otherworldly behind it because there's no such thing as perfect in the scientific world. So you would say that these incisions from person to person, how much they vary is almost like a signature. Possibly. Then again, this is just a hypothesis. And until I have the facts, like my mind can go all sorts of places until I get enough information to make a good conclusion. That's fair enough. Uh, Mr. Remington, did you have anything to add? These uh, these cuts that are made, um, do they appear to be uh, by somebody who was uh, right or left-handed? Any detail can be of <laughs> great importance. Hmm. Ooh, that's easy. That's a leg question. What? One moment. And he kind of picks up the light. He is gentle with the body, but you could tell this is like, there's like no hesitation. He's like, ooh, let's see. Mm. All right. So based on what I can see from the cuts, at least from the hands, uh, the person went from right to left. So usually that means that you are right-handed with the scalpel as you need to cut away from you. And that means that if they were right-handed, they went from right to left. So, yeah, I would say the person is right-handed. Okay. That's really all I had to ask, but uh, I know where to find you in case I have any other questions. So, My, out of curiosity, Mr. Skinner, I with, believe that's all I've got. All right. Um, out of curiosity, Mikey, which, which hand is the doctor holding his scalpel then? Oh, okay. He is holding it in his uh, right hand. Okay. That doesn't prove anything because right handedness <laughs> is very common. So. Okay. <laughs> uh, but I do. You know what? I appreciate where your inquisitive mind is. So you get a Benny, my friend. <laughs> no, give, no, 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 no. I was about to say, Preacher was the one that even thought of the idea to ask of if it was left or right handed. I would give it to him. Oh, well. I'm going to give you both of it just because one, I'm going to give Preacher an extra Benny just because of making that deduction. And I'm just going to give you a Benny Grizz, because, Tanner, because uh, I love that you riff off the Frenchman so well. <laughs> but yeah, right. excellent RP, my friends. So right. yeah, so uh, after concluding the... <laughs> yes. So now both of you are up at two Bennies, so those probably are going to come in handy in a little bit. But... Oh, yeah. <laughs> As the two of you kind of wrap up, Dr. Carlos, like, now, if you can find the scalpel, just bring it back to me, and then I will do some tests on it, and I will let you know. But I will give you a warning. And he kind of looks around a little bit as if he's making sure nobody's listening and kind of just like, again, not too many people believe this supernatural, but this is way too perfect. And I might be a little paranoid and thinking about all the stories my mother told me when I was a young child, but uh, just be very careful because you never know what to be uh, cross around these streets, especially at night when it seems that most of these murders are happening. We will take do our due diligence and take the utmost care of ourselves and you do the same, Doctor. Oh, most certainly. And uh, 
Yeah, so as soon as you find that scalpel, you can bring it back to me and I would be happy to help you further. But until then, if you wouldn't mind putting Carmen uh, back on for me, I do still got some work to do. Oh, most certainly. I am so sorry. Oh, no worries. Thanks and you put the record back on. So as soon as you put the record back on, Carmen just continues where it's off. And you just as, as we leave. You, as both of you like leave, you both look over your shoulder and you start to see him once again dancing as he's doing the autopsy. And then you also catch a glimpse of him like taking one of those like skeleton models that most like places have and he begins to like mm-hmm. tango with it as he's going as you exit the morgue. <laughs> so both of you head back upstairs. You make your way to the reception area. It's just like Oh, sweetheart, I'm glad to see you. So, did everything go according to the way that you want? Hmm. I believe so, yeah. More or less. Well, uh, happy to be a service now. Don't be a stranger now, you hears? So, if you need to come back, just say hi. I'll be happy to let you in anytime, toots. We greatly appreciate that. (laughs) Uh, Snacking on a donut on his way out. Absolutely. Um, oh my goodness. Where did he get the donut? No one knows. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Meanwhile, <laughs> we cut over to team two, which is going to be Miles and Gary. So you two have elected to go check the more uh, seedier areas of New Orleans for some information that you might find on set uh, as we were calling it here. So, as both of you walk down the street, you guys do make, you kind of make sure to take the uh, unwant <laughs> path, so to speak, as you begin entering the more, I don't, I guess low income area would be the right term, but that also sounds very bad. But the more seedier part of town. We're going to the slums. You're, yeah, you're, you're going to the slums. <laughs> to the French Quarter. Or the back side of the French Quarter. Yes, the back side of the French Quarter. (laughs) So as both of you walk uh, down to the back side of the French Quarter, you notice that the clientele hanging around on the streets is less than ideal. You do see a couple of homeless camp encampments kind of based around empty lots and things like that. You see very seedy like dive bars and um kind of establishments like that as you're walking down until you both come up in front of a little bar that is called the Mournful Maiden. So, Gary, you know the Mournful Maiden as to be, uh, how do we say, business rival is not the best way to put it because you put them to shame with your business. But they were a pain in your ass for some time before. uh, Let's just say that a little healthy competition kind of threw a monkey wrench into their business plan. We still don't know what happened with all that liquor all that time ago, but that's a story for another time. We don't talk about the Dark Ages. Yes, the Dark Ages. (sighs) But yeah, so both of you are in front of the Mournful Maiden. (laughs) 
And uh, Gary, you specifically know the owner of the Morphal Maven, uh, Mr. Uh, Orwell Duggery. So both of you are currently on the outside, so I'm assuming y'all want to go in. <laughs> well, this is going to be quite an adventure. Let's go inside. <laughs> Move closer to the mic. I can barely hear you. I have to adjust everything. Hold on. How dare. How dare. <laughs> nah, you're fine. It happens. Well, the mic was holding my lamp up, which holds so I can do this stuff. Is that better for you? Yes. I'm well, just looking out for our listeners. I get it. Three, two, one. Well, I would really like a drink, so. I think we should go there. That's cool. what I just said. <laughs> you just always want to go for a drink, though. No, I said nothing about a drink. I said, all right, this is going to be interesting. Let's go in. Yes, but I want a drink, though. I don't yeah. care. Why I want to spend a... Together? We're just going to fight the entire time. Let's just go inside. Yes, let's. <laughs> oh, this is going to be great. So yeah, so as the two of you walk into the Mournful Maiden, I mean, Gary, the last time you were here compared to where you are now, and actually maybe a little bit miles if he can remember the last time he was here, the Mournful Maiden has seen better days. You can see that the wallpaper on is just like peeling what used to be kind of like a nice, like golden marigold kind of color wallpaper is now like decayed into this gross brownish color. You see that you see that a lot of the sofas and kind of tables are cracked and or the stuffing is coming out of the seats. And I told him he should have let me bought him out. It would have been fine. He could have stayed and worked. The family would have ran it and it would have been a nicer place. But no. The family seems like it has a lot of things it does. <laughs> it's a very ancient tradition. Uh, we love it. Alrighty. So as both of you kind of take a look in. On the far side of the mournful maiden, you see a very depressing looking uh, counter where all the alcoholic beverages and spirits are or the lack thereof. Just, it's a big, like, casing of a bar, but very few drinks behind it. So, like I said, it you know, it used to be the highlight down here, but, you know, things change. And behind it, you see a very uh, disheveled older gentleman kind of just wiping down the bar countertop and kind of cleaning a glass in his hand. And kind of just he hears both of you kind of walk in and closer and he just looks up. It's like, oh, it's you, Gary. Hello, Orville. What can what is the pleasure? What, is, what can I do? As he says, dejectedly. Well, for one, you can take my offer. Or. More importantly, let's get down to the actual reason why I'm here. I'm looking into some stuff. Oh, you know, well, what kind of stuff are we talking about? 
couple nasty things here and there. Some rumors about murders and decapitations and whatnot. They're near-ish to here, so I thought I'd come have a chat. Well, if it's a chat that you want, you can go to hell. <laughs> okay. I'll give an area a call. You wouldn't dare. <laughs> okay, so let's make this interesting. So go ahead and roll intimidation. <laughs> if remember, if you don't have that skill trained, it is a D4 minus two. Just put all my dice up recently and I forgot to get them out. Bruh. <laughs> While we're doing that. <laughs> oh, there we go. Guys, this episode is sponsored by Squarespace. <laughs> is it? <laughs> no, I wish. You know, he said that uh, too, and I'm now looking on my desk like, where is my <laughs> This is a public service announcement to our listening audience that when you are playing a TTRPG, be a dice goblin and always make sure to have your dice nearby because you never know when you're going to need them. First off, I am a goblin. Secondly, my dice were nearby. I just didn't have them out. Cool. All right. So you said intimidation. Yep. That's going to be D4 minus two, right? Yep. Remember, get a four, it explodes. The D4 is the pointy one. <laughs> I got a one. It's a three <gasps> minus two. Two. Okay, I was going to say, you rolled a one? Oh. <laughs> I was like, okay. Damn. Alrighty. So, as you say that you'll give the call, Orville is just like, now, now I put up with you i've known you for a very long time and i know that when you're just bluffing and you're just talking out of your ass gary and he kind of just looks at you but it was a good try though it was a good try but you're gonna have to do more than that if you're gonna scare me okay well we know a couple <laughs> well yeah dude no uh, a, f a good Good law enforcement friend. Have you updated your permits recently? Hmm. You know what? Go ahead. I'm going to roll a streetwise for that. One. Is that a streetwise knowledge for that one? Because I will say streetwise because that's investigation, but more of the like informal kind of like variety. All right. Come on, D6. That's a three. Damn. Once again, Orville is just like, you're smart, Gary, but you're not that smart. <laughs> At least I can run a bar. Ooh. <laughs> what? What do you want me to say? What do you want? I'll tell you whatever if it means you get the hell out of here faster. I just want to know what you heard about this situation with the decapitations and the murders. All I want to know, I'm trying to find out some information. I was going to be nice enough and give you some information that someone else gave me. But, you know, I could always withhold that. It wouldn't be the first time you screwed me over, but hey. I have yet to screw you over. You only screwed yourself over because you didn't take my offer. Alright, well, this is going to be a little bit, so he kind of pours a glass. It's not as fancy as your place, Gary, but... Oh, this one's on the house <laughs> and kind of pours you. both pours you 
and Miles a little bit of eh, a somewhat decent amount of alcohol for like a shot of some sort. It's like bottoms up and kind of throws it back. I, I kind of push my drink towards towards Gary. And go, <laughs> I, I push it back. I'd rather have a glass of milk. <laughs> From inside what of your head. The hell is wrong with you? <laughs> oh, my goodness. From inside your head, boss, she's just like, I didn't know that you were. I didn't know you were a coward, Miles. Hmm. I'm learning a little bit more about you. Not a coward. Just stop drinking. Ah. Oh. Well, let's continue with this, shall we? And kind of voice goes quiet. All right. So Orville's just like, all right, here's what I know. So obviously, if you two are here investigating the decapitation murders, you know the general information. So the most recent one was night before last night, whatever. I don't really care about details. But I'm quite interested that you are looking into said murders because the police obviously ain't giving a shit about the people dying around here. In fact, they're working on this most recent one, but they failed to look into the other two that happened a few nights ago. What happened? What other two? Oh, so you don't know. (laughs) Ain't this a kick in the pants? Well, anyways. Yes. The police are investigating the murder that happened last night, but there were two other murders two nights ago. One in the mid-city area and one in the Treme area of town. It's quite disturbing, but, uh, you know. From what I hear, the most recent victim is actually a stand-up citizen, while the other two are, eh, not the top priority, apparently. Rats like me. You're not a rat. You're a schmuck, not a rat. Grew up poor. Have no money. Okay, fine, you're an urchin either way. At least that last I checked, you haven't snitched on anybody, so you definitely ain't a rat. Ooh. <laughs> Anywho. So, like I said, one murder happened last night. Two nights ago, there were two other murders in the mid-city in Cheme area. Now, based on the papers around here, the local rags, the police officers, all that good stuff. It doesn't seem that anybody has made a connection. And if they actually looked into it, this isn't the first time something like this has happened in the history of New Orleans. There is. Now, Gary, you know I've been here for a very long time. I've known you for a very long time. That you have. And I don't know exactly how well you pay attention to the local news around here. But you have to admit... Doesn't something seem very strange about this most recent rash of murders? Everything seems strange. That's why I'm looking into it. It hurts business. I lose clientele. Then you would remember when this happened 20 years ago. I don't think... So, really quickly, DM speaking now. (laughs) So, out of character... 
Gary, you would know exactly what Orville is talking about because these rash of murders, while you didn't investigate the last time this happened 20 years ago, you do remember hearing something about something called the Axeman murders in which similar like things were happening where heads and hands were being chopped off at the bit. Now, once again, three murders no, actually, four murders occurred 20 years ago, but then they stopped and like the police had weren't able to figure it out or who it was. And now 20 years later, we're coming to find that it's happening similarly again this time around. All right. Back in character. Ah. That again. I guess I will have to go and visit one of my cousins. Which one this time? Well, I was going to start with Inari and then have him send out Quarry to find out some more. Hold on, I'm double checking my, my list. Because I just <laughs> added Quarry. Because he's the interrogator. Oh my gosh. Do you get the joke, Quarry? Yes. <laughs> I did get, I get it. Make a tee hee and a ha ha so much so I'm gonna give you a Benny. <laughs> Yay! I got a Benny. Again, I'm easily entertained. <laughs> so am I. So I got the list. Anyways. So yeah. you just see. Yeah. <laughs> so Orville's just kind of. Well, then, it looks like you have a destination, and that is everything that I have to tell you. So if you would be so kindly. Both of you, of you can get the hell out of my establishment. Well, I'll leave you with this little tidbit of information that I learned recently. And I tell him about the the um, the wine, no, not the wine, the uh, spear, the thief of um, alcohol, mm -hmm. um, the product thief and whatnot. So that way he's aware. Orville kind of just looks back behind him with all his alcohol and just like, I don't have a lot, but I, uh, I'll swallow my pride and admit I appreciate the heads up. I'll make sure to be on the lookout for a sad alcohol thief. See, remember my offer, Orville. It might benefit you a whole lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Miles, let us go visit one of the cousins. <laughs> Did you decide which cousin y'all gonna visit? Well, so Inari and Query work pretty much together. So I'm going to Inari's office to have the conversation of, hey, what do you know about this? And if you don't know anything about this, send out Query and have a conversation with somebody and find out more. Okay. Well, I will say for the sake of it, both of you go visit your cousin, Gary. <laughs> and basically, they tell you the same information as Orville just did. They ha haven't got a clue as to anything more beyond that, but they're willing to send people to look into it more so and they'll get back to you as soon as they got more info. So with that. OK. 
me see. Let me check my notes. I, I was updating notes because I wanted to make sure that I had uh, names because I just thought of one of the other cousins that they could probably send out. But we're not looking for objects at the moment, are we? Well, not yet. But I will say you and Miles make for that. <laughs> Katie. Anywho. So I will say that both of you. Both you, Gary, and you, Miles, you make your way back to the epitaph around the same time that both Hank and Chris end up there. And then, of course, for the sake of it, I will say that you guys like exchange the information between both of you. So at the core of it, from Hank and Chris's side, you know that the cause of death was obviously, you know, decapitation will do that to somebody. It looks to be some sort of precision tool to make the cuts with the hands and the heads and a scalpel that is supposedly the murder weapon is missing, but seems to have been uh, lost from the move from the old precinct to the new one. Oh, and then you talked about the strange coroner that you met, the Frenchman. Very interesting fella. And then on the flip side, for Team Miles and Team uh, Gary, you, Chris, and you, Hank, learn that 20 years ago, the uh, Axeman murders that have a similar M.O. There were four murders that happened, but then they stopped and the police have still don't have a suspect for those. So with all that information, we are all caught up. <laughs> <laughs>